what does it mean to be educated? Think about it for a second. What does it mean to be educated as a woman, as a man, as an elderly person, as a young person? What does it mean? My grandpa used to tell me that there were only two people smarter than him in the world. The first was Santa Claus and the other one was God. And I think that the idea of education can be quite interesting in that vein. What does it mean to be smart? What does it mean to be educated? These are common science questions. So today we're going to talk a bit about this question. It's Lauren, Aiden, and Dre on the Common Science cast, and we're going to dive into education. What does it mean to be educated? A? That's a great question, Lauren. What does it mean to be educated or to get educated? Um, Because I I kind of, yeah, I see a little bit of a delineation there. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack, um, but to me, to be educated means to have achieved a a level of critical thinking and the ability to uh, to learn the ability to, so like getting educated is being able to continue to learn. So it's kind of a never ending process in my mind. I'm curious what Dre's takes are on that question just off the bat. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is just the never ending process of being a student, uh, never thinking you've arrived in any sort of endeavor and I think that's kind of a an unfortunate way that we talk about it at least in America is like it's like oh yeah like your education only goes up to 12th grade or only goes through college but it's like (laughs) we all know that's not true but that's still how we talk and that's kind of how we think and I've like I've seen statistics for instance kind of well on the same topic but not one for one that like after you graduate high school like the average person reads like one book or some like ridiculous stats like that and it's just like why would you stop learning <laughs> just re- like once you get out of college or high school mostly high school that's when you just start to learn everything that you really want to learn and it's okay if you're not a big book reader but to think that your level of curiosity is dropped to the point where you don't consider yourself constantly learning or constantly being in some sort of school of education, whether that be um, the fires of the workplace or traveling the world or uh, some sort of online learning where you fall into these Wikipedia or YouTube wormholes. And um, I, I think there's just, I don't know, like to be educated, like obviously, I, I don't know, that, that to me that, that means to be alive is to educate yourself. Like, why, why would we ever stop learning as human beings when we stop learning? We're just dying, in my yeah. view. <laughs> so. I think I would only reiterate what you guys said. To be alive, to approach each new situation with an open mind and an open heart, to allow yourself to push, push to new heights, whatever that means. Um, and I really love that we didn't talk about standard education when we talk about what it means to be educated, especially because all of us have college degrees um, and that we see the world in a way where you approach it from a place of learning. Yeah. Yeah, when it comes to approaching the world from a place of learning and to me, 
like you it's fascinating that you bring up the distinction between higher education and i mean the whole of education right uh like what what kind of things have you guys learned since graduating from your bachelor's degree and and yeah like how much have you learned since graduating your bachelor's degree like can you even compare the learnings yeah it's immeasurable um i think the biggest one of the biggest things i learned really was really just the differences in personal experience as a young kid i just saw things as so black and white and um i just really just i just thought for instance if i can do something other people can do it or if other people can do it i can do it and that's not always the case like it's a good it's a decent mindset to have in a lot of cases because it makes us strive and to become more than ourselves but at the same time it's like a starving person in some third world country doesn't have the same opportunities as me and I need to have a proper world view so that I know that this person exists that the world is not all everything it is in Minnesota growing up how I grew up but then also I mean yeah just like just understanding that I can't necessarily put myself in that person's shoes because they just have a completely different quote-unquote education than me they the world is a much different place to them because what they've been taught by it I really like the distinction when I think of being educated as a woman the first things that come to my mind are not at all related to anything I ever learned in school they're related to traumatic instances in my life where I was educated like I learned something the hard way or I mean the world way if you will and the difference between learning between learning about something in that way versus reading about it in a book I think is worthy of note yeah uh so that's a nice segue to one of the questions I had written in my preparation what are book smarts and what are street smarts mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, that's that's what I struggle with. I I always I'm not so street smarts are usually like savviness, thinking on your feet, common sense. I I believe that's kind of how people think of it. And I never considered myself like a street smart person, and I don't think anybody in my life who really knows me has ever considered that me that. And growing up in in the inner cities where. I grew up around people who lived like a quote unquote street life or gang life, etc. That was kind of like a blow to my ego and like a blow to my identity a lot of times where I was like, man, I'm just not street smart. Like I'm just not, you know, like I'm not, um, you know, I'm just not that person. And I'm just really someone who enjoys reading a book or a textbook or learning in class. And I can regurgitate that information and that information is valuable to me. But even applying that in a real world way I still struggle with that so I actually consider myself book smart I guess but I don't really consider myself very intelligent per se or street smart based on my some of my shortcomings with like common sense and just dealing with everyday life I think I am just like bookish that's yeah that's awesome (laughs) you just made me smile um 
I don't remember the question because I'm a human. What was your question, Aiden? What are book smarts and what are street smarts? So I'll give you an example to answer the question. My sister, Lourdes, Lourdes, she's the most street smart person I know in my life. And I think it was probably because of what she learned from the world. Um, she grew up in Nicaragua in Central America and was adopted into my family around the age of 13. And so she lived a good chunk of her childhood in Nicaragua and uh, spent some time in orphanages and then some time with distant family. And because of that experience, I think, and probably some innate characteristics in her, uh, she, better than anyone I know, will notice things, um, whether it whether we're on the street and she sees someone that we should avoid or will pull me in a direction before I ever realized what was going on. She is so cognizant of her surroundings and able to discern quickly what might be a safe move. And not just on the streets, um, also in conversation, also um, in social settings. And not always even safe in terms of what is going to physically harm me, but safe in terms of conversation and, I mean, so many other things. She's also, because of this, I think, one of the most resilient people I know, and I'm so, so proud of her for that. And so I think of that instance, as opposed to someone who can recall a bunch of random facts, and actually, I would say one of the most intelligent or I wouldn't say book smart but one of the most intelligent people I know then is my brother Clayton who dropped out of college and is working at a pizza joint right now um but if you ask him how much water per second flows over Niagara Falls he'll tell you he just knows just like that and the list goes on and on that's one example of so many and he hasn't figured out what he wants to do right now in the world but those are my two examples that I would uphold as as street smart versus intelligent um maybe not so much book smart but even though clayton right yeah even even though clayton wouldn't necessarily be seen as highly educated since he did jump out of college it sounds like he made a super intelligent decision because he's like i'm just spending money or maybe i don't know if he's spending money or not but yeah. in general it's a person in that situation i'm just spending money i have no idea where this is going to take me I shouldn't do this. I should go make money, experience life, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, which is really cool, which is why I'm definitely pushing for the American education system to go to like a leap year style like they do in Europe. Yeah. Um, unless, yeah, so to, to go out and travel the world. If you guys don't know, like a lot of other countries, um, they don't go straight into college like we do. Uh, they take a year, a lot of young kids, they take a year to just travel and experience the world, have a good time, learn to, or work. Um, whether that's saving up for money or just kind of seeing, hopping around, shadowing, seeing what they actually want to study instead of just being like, oh, I want to be a rich doctor. I just want to be a lawyer or my dad does this, so I'm going to do this. And then you end up changing major four times and blowing 60K. Yeah, there's also a lot of status wrapped up in education in the U.S. And I think it's really sad. Both of my examples of like street smart versus book smart or intelligent, um, are of people who are not so educated. My sister, Lourdes, is now in a nursing program, which I'm really proud of her for. And Clayton, yeah, he dropped out of college. Um, but 
he wants to start his own business, he's figuring out the world, he's living on his own for the first time, right? All these things that we know, you learn so much from. Oh, yeah. So much from. So I think that's also a thought-provoking distinction because people wear their college education like a badge sometimes. It drives me crazy. Yeah, they do, definitely. And I know a lot of people who have either dropped out or just college didn't work out for them. Not because of a situation like where Clay and where he's just like, I want to do something else, but they just couldn't take the stress of it or they just didn't feel smart enough or whatever it is. And they drop out and they internalize this thing because in America we say, you better do this, it has to be this way, otherwise you're not successful, otherwise you're not smart, and your whole per- your whole identity rests on whether you can regurgitate words and get an A instead of a red F and since you know you're four or five years old you internalize this stuff and now you have adults running around who the system the cookie cutter system didn't work for them and now they're even if they are like I know people who are making good money um doing exactly what they want happy not selling out to work for some business that they didn't want to work for but here and there I just see these insecurities and these scars where they just like they're in a room full of educated people or quote-unquote educated college graduates and they feel inferior and it's just like dude like you're brilliant or you're you have you're special you have so much to add you have so much good experience with this you're really successful at that all of us have no clue how to work this or do that yeah and you do but i've struggled with it now um for those of you who don't know aiden has been admitted to biostatistics phd program which is so awesome and if you were to if you were to try to create a graphic of like who the smart people are in the phd world the biostats people would probably be high right in terms of how higher ed thinks of higher ed which is in and of itself a problem but anyways because of this, I have struggled since his admittance to feel good enough or, like, to feel smart enough, which drives me crazy that it that it bothers me, but it is so ingrained in America, American culture, and maybe it's also specific, more specific to the Midwest. We have a lot of big institutions, even yeah. just in Minnesota, but that I... Man, I, there are times where I feel like I'm going to be left behind or I'm not going to be worth as much or I'm... And the list goes on when I allow my, you know, my monkey brain to win and not be confident. But Yeah, what I think is I would have to double check the fat, the stat. So don't quote me on this. But I think um, so Andrew Yang, for those of you who are not familiar, he ran for president. He also wrote, wrote a book called The War on no- Normal People. And he talks a lot about this issue of higher education and like this pressure to strive after it. And yet I think he said that if you know five college graduates, like you're in like the 5% of the U.S. population or something like that, it's some small it's either five or ten percent, or some some small and isn't it minority. Isn't maybe like one percent of the world, or oh, something? Oh, if that's what it is in the U.S., then yeah, it's a tiny, tiny percent of the of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it it is wild to me, especially in today's economy too, when um, many people can become a tradesman and be making good money and have a house and a family by the age of 30, whereas some people might not be 
graduating from their PhD program until they're 32 and still have college debt and still like how backwards is that in my mind uh, in a lot of ways is like okay there's this person who went to school for 15 years and they are like for all intents and purposes like educated by at least by like the book smart definition um but they like are just starting to figure out how to buy a house they're just starting how to figure out let alone like having the funds to and all these other things and like is it actually a good decision that's like something else entirely to discuss but um (laughs) yeah it's it's wild to me and where do you guys think some of this attitude has come from especially in the u.s i think it came from a good place i think it comes from um where it comes like just how immigrants come into the country now that's one of the most important things um is just like they want their kids to be educated right specifically like refugees of that or people who just are coming here for their kids to have a better life and i think we still just have a lot of left over as americans um but it just it doesn't hit the same way because we're not our grandparents our great-grandparents who a lot of them were either um refugees immigrants um or like coming out of slavery or just coming out of abject poverty because life wasn't that great for white people 200 years ago either in america right so it's like education is or like our standard for education is relatively new right our system is maybe over just over 100 years old 150 maybe so i think we just have these kind of that's, so that's only a few generations so i think we just kind of have these relics from our grandparents and great-grandparents where it was so important to get an education because for example like with women not being educated they were like locked in the house now they have no means to make income for black people you were relegated to the margins of society if you weren't educated so there's these things that were education was really 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 important and now it's not so much and now it's actually really really inflated to the point where it's like it's it's not does not really work that much anymore Specifically, if you're actually talking about how much debt you go in versus how much you're getting back. So I think it's coming from a good place. It's coming from just this idea and the spirit of like, yes, education is freedom. And it is. I definitely believe in like learning as much as you can, but not paying, (laughs) not going into debt for it is what I'm not into. Um, So I think that's where it comes from. And I think that's a good place. I just think we have to rework some things, specifically the cost of education. Yeah, the cost of education has a long, a long way to go, but I actually want to think earlier than college because that's where some of our conversation has focused thus far, or post-college education, because I do think while education is the great equalizer, it's the opportunity to jump social or jump, what would that be, social strata, Mm -hmm. um, and our financial strata. And I don't know that we are doing as good as we could be, especially in the U.S. with women and minorities um, in middle school and pre-K and (laughs) K-12 education in general. And so, I mean, I just, I was curious to see what your guys' thoughts are on K-12 education and some of the gaps that exist in higher education and how individuals are set up for failure in some ways, um, approaching higher ed at a much lower place. Yeah, um, 
something that sticks out to me, especially when you bring that up, is, I mean, the proliferation of private schools in the U.S. especially, and the tie of public school funding to property taxes and how that's then tied up with redlining and all these historic inequalities. I mean, it's it blows my mind that some people will pay, so on top of their own personal property taxes and other other incidents, like some people will pay, I mean, 35 grand plus, $35,000 plus for um, K through 12 education, like annually. And um, they will also drop, I mean, hundreds of dollars on tutors, like it'll be like $100 an hour. Like I personally have been a tutor and I personally have charged $110, $115 an hour, um, which is extraordinary and for most families way beyond reach. So, it, I mean, yeah, the the inequalities definitely perpetuate in a lot of ways in terms of education and uh, just financial resources and how those resources are distributed. But I think that that definitely plays a huge role. Yeah, there's clearly um, a huge discrepancy with the access to education and quality of education, and that's always been the case. So even though there are a lot of people that make it out of poverty in these really kind of broken, flawed education systems, it's just like, it's how, it's obviously, that's what, I feel like that's how people look at it, is like they see a couple stories, success stories, or even a lot, and then they're like, oh, well, you know, they got the chance, or this or that, or blah, blah, but it's like, yes, but you have to think about how many barriers somebody has to break down until they get to the same point where somebody who's privileged is at. And obviously that's gonna, there's only so many barriers the average human can break down. So I I mean, I don't even know where to start with the, with the education system and poverty, it's so frustrating. And I think it's as, it's as simple as like, or not even simple, but like one thing, one kind of statistic or one kind of truth that like really blew my mind was how they could find the intelligence scores of a child drop significantly just based on whether or not they had breakfast that morning. And I'm like, whoa, like we've had a whole, I mean, let's just call it what it is. Like we've got a whole race of people, black people throughout American history over the last hundred years or so. And even to a degree today be completely maligned as like maybe intellectually inferior or like, like depraved or like wanting to like do crimes or whatever like not be good in school and not want to go through the system but they still don't have equal opportunity they still don't have equal access like poor people in general still just don't have that in america and that's that's very uncomfortable so you can't just say just move to the suburb and go to this great school it's like they can't afford to move there you can't say just try them out they can't afford the gas you can't say just find the just work away through this system it's like the textbooks are 30 years old and everybody there is wondering where their next not everybody but a lot of people there are wondering where their next meal is coming from and similar to what we've talked about Lauren with women and that mirror that they have in front of their face that they're all they're 
constantly in our society constantly checking or thinking about how people are viewing them if they look good enough etc etc these kids how can they focus on um like quadratic formulas when like they have to figure out how to get formula for their baby brothers tonight because their mom's gonna be working three shifts and this and that blah blah blah. and it's just like i don't know so i'm kind of just ranting because this is like a really frustrating topic for me and i don't know what the answer is necessarily but i just know that the people in power are not listening to the right people the smart people who do have some answers so i am just rambling but i'm also just this is just a frustrating topic it's 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 very frustrating for me too in a different vein um growing up in rural minnesota i think education differs a lot between rural communities and more urban communities also as a woman and also as a woman who is wanting to pursue medicine I have this quote, or I don't know if I make it up, is it still called a quote? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's this thing that I like to say, life is like an oyster, all you have to do is crack it and munch it, which is, I really think, true, and I think it's true for everyone, but I was talking to Aiden the other day in addressing some of my math barriers because of my math education. Um, yeah, life is like an oyster, Sure. But some people, they have to find deep sea diving equipment and have no map and they have to find a map and they have like all these barriers to go and even find the oyster, right? Like, or even to know the difference between an oyster and a clam, right? If you're following this kind of out there example. And then other people are given the oyster cracked open on a silver platter, right? With the oyster munching utensils <laughs> and it's so it's so frustrating it's so frustrating for so many different reasons um specific though to minorities i had the opportunity to substitute teach for um a school in in my district in rochester in this district and um during the pandemic during the first lockdown of the pandemic uh, COVID-19, just throwing it out there just in case there's another pandemic in the next five years. Um, but I was assigned to the most challenging caseloads in the district and they were all families of color, um, all black families and one Hispanic family. And I had not considered until this assignment, what it would be like to log in every day or to go to class every day and have a teacher who looked different than me and who talked different than me and never thought about it until all of a sudden I was trying to teach elementary school to nine families of like these gorgeous little kiddos who did not know how to communicate with me and I did not know how to communicate with them very well. And it wasn't until that experience that I asked myself, why do we not do better? Why why do we not seek out diversity of teachers better in elementary education? And then why have we chosen white education or like the social norms for white people to be the standard? Why is it not okay to have a teacher from a different heritage who teaches in whatever dialect or whatever is normal to them? Like, why are we not teaching kids how to do this in different in different aspects so I think that would be one thing that could really really be helpful 
is if we required some sort of diversity standard of elementary education especially. Um, yeah, I mean, it just, it was an eye-opening experience, and the, I probably sounded like a fool, but when I tried to communicate to these kiddos in, like, their, in terms of their communication, I just had way better luck. I'm sure I sounded like a fool, but we were able to practice our ABCs a lot better and do counting a lot better, too, so, I mean, I did what I could, but it was an eye-opening experience. Yeah, I think what I think so speaking more to I guess the purpose of education is what you just or just the thought that was evoked in me uh is like what is the purpose of education and yeah, I mean why is it that our education is designed the way it is and I think a lot of it does come from a I mean, social control kind of um, place. And that sounds a little, I mean, just critical, but um, in a lot of ways, like, yeah, for people to believe in the United States of America, you need them to pledge allegiance to the flag when they're going, when they're growing up. Um, And yeah, it's there's definitely a tension there between getting people to conform to the extent that you can have a peaceful society and then but also have the diversity that leads to a creative and dynamic society. Um yeah. Yeah. The ongoing b- debate between assimilation and multiculturalism. Yeah. Um, if you care to, would, would you care to elaborate on those two terms for people who might be less familiar, Lauren? Yeah, so assimilation is the idea that people need to leave behind their culture completely and only use characteristics from um, a chosen culture, and generally that tends to be the culture with more power. And certainly in the United States, it has been like a white culture or a European ancestry, ancestrally based culture. And um, then multiculturalism is the idea that we can cohabitate space and still celebrate and use our our culture. And it's really interesting. People will say, oh, the U.S. is multicultural, right? But it really actually, in a lot of ways, is not, especially in education, because we do expect people to raise their hands in class. We do expect there to be an English communication that has been chosen, right? A dialect that has been chosen, um, which is an, an an expectation for assimilation, not multiculturalism. Uh, especially in the education system. And then there's also acculturation, which is also then an expectation in the U.S. is that, okay, you can celebrate your diversity, but leave it at home. When you come to school, you'll raise your hand, you won't wear your hat backwards, you'll, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, and are we, are we truly multicultural is an inter- interesting, is a thought-provoking question, because I don't think the answer is yes, always. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> were, you done, were you done with the point you we were making before that? Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, 
yeah, I guess I just wanted to, yeah, hear out, uh, Lauren, what your kind of definition was there. And then also just point out to the, like why some of the reasons might be that we do have the way of doing things that we, mm-hmm. yeah, I think one of the dangers and I don't even know, it's not really, I mean, I guess it is a pitfall, but it's, it's inevitable in our current system. And it might be just inevitable if you want to have a society that is like, like a large society, it might just be inevitable that this happens, but you're using words like assimilate and conform. And what I, like my biggest, one of my biggest concerns with the education system is that are we being educated or just indoctrinated? And you talked about the Pledge of Allegiance and so much of it is just indoctrination. It's just, I mean, especially when you learn, when you get older and I think all three of us, I don't know how kind of um, skeptical of, or critical you guys are of capitalism or like American exceptionalism, but I'm highly critical of it and highly like, I don't know if I would use a post, opposed to it. So I just like, so for me, I'm just like looking back at my education and all like the way that things were framed. And then now I travel the world and I hear how people talk about America. stuff like that. I'm like, okay, so a lot of this education is just indoctrination. It's just like, you know, dogma. And it's, it's almost like cult, like behavior and cult, like whatever, like teachings. Um, and and we've, we've actually talked about like the religiosity of like politics and stuff like that before but so for me i think that's like the huge danger is that there's this dogma that's being inculcated in america and like to your point if anybody steps out of line it's um like it's just a no-go it's just like you get suspended or this or that or you get like berated and then as a young kid you start internalizing that you're really stupid like i have kids um, I work in a predominantly um, minority school, and I have kids that have talked to me, opened up to me about that, and um, expressed those feelings that they think they're stupid. And I'm just like, bro, like I've seen how you communicate with people, I've seen how you think, I've seen how you play sports. Like you are an intelligent person. You might be lacking a specific education, but you also are educated to like, like for example, a lot of my students, like again, like a lot of them are impoverished. And a lot of them are, like, t- helping raise their kids or, like, sorry, their, um, their, like, baby siblings and stuff like that. A lot of them will be like, hey, Mr. Nick, I'm be excused so I can go feed my little sister or I got to go do this and I got to do that. So they're learning the life skills we were talking about. They're being educated in how to care for others, how to manage, like, a household, et cetera, et cetera, at a very young age. And since we have a, an educational system that doesn't um, bend to that or, like, have any sort of way of helping them, it's like... We have to mark them absent and give them a D and this and that. And now this kid is like, and now maybe they're, if their parents care about the education, maybe their parents are like, why do you have a D? And it's like, well, you know, like I was, you know, doing, like I was, yeah. I was had to do something else, you know? And, um, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, I think one to be a little bit devil's advocate. And it's been a point that I've been, kind of struggling with myself um but as far as american exceptionalism i am like super i mean i'm also hypercritical of a lot of the situations in the u.s and the past of the u.s 
Um, but one thing that does stand out to me is the privilege that we have to be on these microphones right now at present and to be criticizing our current system and to be having these kinds of conversations and dialogue, whereas in many other countries, that's not the case. And I think that in and of itself is exceptional. Um, I agree, but yeah. it, it takes time to find and to figure out and to be brave enough to take on and have your own voice in the system. Because we are taught to believe in this false nationalism, this idea that being American is great and that America is great. And this quote from Upton Sinclair comes to mind. He says, you don't have to be satisfied with America as you find it. You can change it. And that I don't think is taught, right? I think that you kind of have to find out. I mean, it's kind of skipped over in history. It's brushed aside because I think people in power are a little bit afraid of what it really actually means to be American, in my mind. And that is to show up on a podcast and ask crazy questions about being naked or about what education means, what have you. And that, I think, is harder to find and hard to be brave enough to do. And even I question myself often, like, who am I to say anything on this podcast? I don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah. we just show up and we talk. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, Aiden. You are right. We are very blessed to have grown up in America at the time period we did, um, specifically me as a black man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, the re- one, the, like pot, one of the main reasons we are here is because we are very educated. That's why we have the wherewithal, the knowledge um and the privilege to critique a system that has blessed us and like to lauren's point or at least what she alluded to is that's the most american thing to do (laughs) is to have the free speech and the free thinking to challenge the system that you grew up in the doctrination that you grew up in um so i mean even i guess if if you want to go back to the mayflower it's like these are protestants fleeing religious persecution so they too had something christianity that they really loved but then they thought okay this could be better <laughs> you know like this right. uh, whatever our sect can be better but um so yeah i de- that's not lost upon me and i definitely am very very grateful for so much about our education system i i only hurt for the people because it has done wonders for me like i'm good i had great education i love it and i probably go back to grad school all that good stuff i'm really just hurting for the people who have not had the same experience as me and whether it be because they were poor and they didn't have access or because maybe they were really wealthy, but they went to They got into a system that didn't care about them. That said they were a screw up because they were more focused on choir or sports or this or that. They didn't care about math, but they loved science. Like we've all seen those kids who have an A in one grade in one class, but have C's in every other class. Cause like they don't care about that. So, but so now they're labeled like a screw up or like, uh, um, right. whatever, someone who's just off task or whatever, or even they might even get 80 to go get some medication or something like that. And just like, no, they just are not interested in what you're teaching them. And that's okay. It's interest. I keep using the word interesting. Dang it. And then I keep using the word thought provoking. A, help me out. What's the synonym? Uh, I got nothing for you. <laughs> I, I'm too focused on the, on the theory I want to bring up. So, <laughs> Okay, you you bring up the theory. I'll come back to my thought. Okay, in my like, in my limited experience as an educator, uh, I came across the 
So it's the Gardner's uh, theory of multiple intelligence and uh, mm-hmm. intelligences, and it includes that there's eight intelligences and i would argue that there's um i mean it's a continuum but he argues that there's eight specific ones visual spatial linguistic verbal interpersonal intrapersonal so knowledge of the self Mm -hmm. logical mathematical musical bodily bodily kinesthetic and naturalistic and one of the um what's fascinating to me is too like some of the issues that were brought up with our traditional educational system is that it's so focused on the linguistic verbal and the logical mathematical, which worked out great for me because that happens to be the two focus areas of myself that I'm, I know I'm much better at when you think about bodily kinesthetic. If any, if anybody has seen me dance, I would score zero in that front. But, um, yeah, I'm just, yeah, curious what that kind of evokes in you guys. Um, like thinking about there being multiple intelligences, how might education, whether it be in the high school or on the streets, be uh, more conducive to nurturing these different types of intelligences, if you guys agree with that kind of theory or, yeah. I'm going to answer, but to answer, who's the smartest person you know? Who's the smartest person I know? Oof. I don't think I... Uh, man. I mean, there's people I know that are... Who's one of the smartest people that you know? One of the smartest people that I know. I mean, I would say you two are some of the smartest people that I know. Um, and for different reasons, I would say... Uh, like, Lauren, I would say that you're one of the most intelligent people I know. And I think a lot of that especially is in your ability to empathize and understand other people, um, as well as your, your musical and artistic capabilities. Um, and then Dre, I I would say, I mean, I would say you're also very, um, knowledgeable about yourself, which is something I admire in you, like from a podcasting standpoint, like you're very, I mean, you're obviously willing to modify some of your views, but you have spent a lot of time thinking out your views, which I, I also appreciate in you. So to be very <laughs> careful in my, careful yeah. in my, maybe not careful, but just nuanced. Um, I was hoping you were just going to say me, but it's <laughs> fine. In, when you think of being educated or smart, and Aiden brought up all these fancy words for different types of intelligence, and then I think of the question, has education served me? Because that's something that both of you guys have touched on, and you're like, oh, I'm good. Education served me. And I think of my own experiences. In a lot of ways, education did not serve me. I want to go into med- medicine and math education was not great growing up in rural Minnesota and especially as a female it was even worse and to this day I struggle with very basic arithmetic um for a lot of different reasons but I think those those are big reasons I also can cook just about anything in the kitchen I play classical piano 
I sing, I paint. I also used to throw pottery. I unfortunately don't have access to doing that right now. Um, my intelligence in a lot of different areas and communication is another one is probably high. I don't know what you would compare what the metric would be, but the question has education served me? I, I don't know. I don't, I'm definitely, I don't have a confident yes. I have worked so, so hard to overcome so many barriers to get to where I am and to be on the track that I am um, toward achieving something that feels far away right now, but I hope would be within my reach. And I wonder whether focusing on more different types of intelligence in education could address how I'm feeling right now or if allowing people to choose earlier on so that we don't have people who are a jack of all trades and a master of none because that's something that I often think of people like oh Lauren what can't you do I'm like well apparently nothing that pays the bills because look at me right now right (laughs) I mean it's a frustrating delineation because there are all those intelligences but what do we value what can you get paid for in this society those are all questions that need to be addressed yeah i that hits that last part at least all that hits home but the last part hits to like my biggest issue with our education system essentially is that it's capitalistic and it's about what can make you money what can serve our government what can serve big business and at the end of the day like i understand well, let, I won't, let me preface, Laura, let me stop for a second, because obviously we learned about the War of 1812 and all that type of stuff, which that's not going to make you money. So there is that, and that's amazing, and all that type of stuff is really good to know your history and a lot of cool background information so you can have a nuanced view of the world. But in general, when it all comes down to especially um, college, it's like, what what's going to make you money? And I hear like specifically like right-wing people like Ben Shapiro talking about like, I don't feel bad for you that you went 70K in debt because you studied lesbian dance theory. And I'm just like, Ben, if someone's interested in a topic in the richest nation to ever exist, the greatest nation to ever exist, quote unquote, they should be able to study it without fear of going and study it in an institution where there's professors set up to help guide a young person flirt and help them flourish without them going in debt for the rest of their like youth and it shouldn't be the only value of an education should not be how much money it makes you at the end of the day and there's a whole nother like topic of what should be making you the most money or whatever like we should obviously change up some of those funds too but that's like my my issue is like it's so capitalistic and it's so like um ravenous it's disgusting like we're 1.7 trillion dollars in student debt that's absurd 10 years ago, or 2010, it was $845 billion. So it's more than double, or about doubled, and, or more than doubled, yeah. And then in 2004, it was like $240 billion. 2004, it was only $240 billion that we were in student debt, and now it's $1.7 trillion. You've crippled a generation. It's absurd. All because you guys, money-hungry companies, the powers that be, wanted to make a dime off of indoctrinating young kids and 
pretty much so you can say oh don't go to college go to trade school but all we hear our entire lives is go to college go to college can't be successful without going to college all these pipelines are leading to college you have to be an aberration not to go to college or just like someone who believes they're a failure even beyond that too and something something as well is even then oh well college didn't serve you well how about graduate school so the other with and within that especially i think medical school is upheld because it's this well-paid profession in the u.s Mm -hmm. um and it is bananas to me how much money people will spend on an like a medical college admissions test like preparation course or like bananas to me how much it even costs to like sign up to take the test like it just it's just yeah um i'm just thinking along those lines of just yeah i mean i don't think it should you're right like we there were these corporations that have made buckets of money um and and it's it's, so capitalistic that people end up doing things they don't and should not frankly be doing a doctor who can take really good tests but can't communicate to a patient should not be a doctor right like there are many instances then because we hear, well, do what you're good at, do what, do what you're good at, and then do what you're good at that will also make you money, right? So we end up with whole subsets of people who are doing things that they're quote-unquote good at or at least trained to do better. I think of boys in math specifically. Um, and they are not fulfilled then because how much choice did they actually have in choosing a path, right? I've met a lot of miserable doctors, yeah, 400 a year commit suicide in America, so. Yeah. Not good. Man, this yeah, talk took a turn. A year. I mean, it, <laughs> but, like, it's a, but it's a, but it, it is important to talk about. Richest person that. at a college university is often the endowment director, so I have a problem with that. I yeah. I have a problem with the way money's being spent. So, I had a, there was a wild, um, just perspective, or perspective that I came across was that especially in regards to endowments and the size of them like that these institutions will be able to last way longer than they have ever continued to serve the society at large Mm -hmm. because like because even if even if students aren't paying tuition the university or whatever can persist because of these fat endowments that are just money like locked up in these accounts yeah Um, which yeah i'm not sure if you guys have any like more more light directions yeah i want to take it to more of a micro scale (laughs) of education and common science um and i'd love to ask you guys and i'll start so think about it because Mm -hmm. coming up with things is not always easy on the spot but what one of the most enlightening moments where you learned something in the last week or two would have been okay and i will start so i have two cats and they have recently been on a diet and little did i know that um They needed to have clean dishes. This is a very, like, minuscule-seeming thing. But both of my cats had acne all on their chin, and it can cause irritation and itching. And I found out that cats are supposed to 
according to the vet, have, like, stainless steel bowls, and they're supposed to be washed every day. So, I mean, kind of a seemingly small thing, but I didn't learn it in college. I'm taking care of these living animals, and something that really drastically improved their quality of life, I learned from bringing them to the vet. And so now we have to wash their bowls every day, and they have stainless steel so that bacteria doesn't grow. Uh, That was so fascinating when I learned it. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, something enlightening in the past couple weeks. Uh, Well, I mean, for me, I guess, and it kind of speaks to how my perspective on how to get educated uh, is like learning through failure and how important that process is and yeah not to get too much back into into like higher education and and such but I do think that's something that is lacking is is the willingness to let people fail uh and learn from but also fail in a safe space where they can learn from their uh mistakes uh yeah, I mean, for me, like in my work, I spend a lot of time uh, like writing code. And boy, I've found 999 ways how not to, like, uh, in my instance, uh, run this model. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, like, and all of a sudden, when you have a breakthrough and you can find out how to do something twice as fast like that exhilaration is huge especially having failed like 999 times to get to that point um so like i guess that is just something that has happened in the last couple weeks is like is having that moment where i'm like man i've been failing for all this time and then all of a sudden i find a way to make something work and and that's definitely exciting and also enlightening because it's like oh well now now i know how and then now i can teach somebody else too to be like oh this is why you shouldn't do it this way this is why you shouldn't do it this way this is why you should do it this way um how about you how about you dre one thing that i i guess i wasn't i guess i did learn it but i was listening to i've been listening to a lot of um writers on youtube and stuff kind of give certain little advice Stephen King, Brian Sanderson, etc. And I think Sanderson was saying, <clears throat> he was just giving a, so the title of the YouTube video, whatever, was like, how to write 100,000 words in a year. And he was just giving like different methods for every, for different, like, whatever. Like, if you're a teacher, you should maybe binge write in the summer, like, prepare, be constantly thinking and preparing and researching, binge write in the summer. If you're someone who can set aside two hours a day, do that. If you're somebody who's got like a super busy week life, you got a family that needs your attention in the week, just have your family commit to letting you spend four hours a day, or sorry, like a Saturday, straight writing. And he said the average writer can write 200 to 500 words per hour. And if you did that, whatever the math was, blah, 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 100,000 words a year if you did for four hours every Saturday, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, and then you don't have to stress out throughout the whole week. And that's something I've really been struggling with, especially being newly married or relatively newly married, is I've just been someone who's always been with his free time and always done things on my time. 
and now I have a wife. So learning how to communicate that better and then also trying to find more better strategies than just being like, hey, babe, on the spot, I'm writing tonight, don't bug me, <laughs> you know, but there's like more than just that way. So that was that was cool. That was something that not too hard to think of, but just hearing it, seeing it spelled out so like matter of factly and just like empirically, I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That's that's funny. That's a similar. So I guess maybe a little bit longer ago than a couple weeks, but that's kind of been a similar experience for me too. Uh, is, I mean, when you're especially working from home, and trying to manage your own time, uh, in addition to finding time to to podcast or write or whatever else, if it's like you gotta chunk the time and give yourself a chunk of time uh and communicate that too if you have a partner or somebody else who's relying on on you and your time awesome dre what advice would you give to a new incoming middle school teacher hmm I guess two things, which I I guess I hope they would already be coming in with these, but <laughs> number one, you are a student before a teacher. You should be learning more than your students are learning, actually, probably. And then number two, just relationships are more important than facts or like books. So build those relationships. Aiden. What advice would you give to a college professor? Oof. Advice to a college professor. Man, um like are you saying <laughs> I, I I always gotta ask questions. <laughs> I gotta think these through. <laughs> so define advice to a college professor. <laughs> Uh, in their teaching specifically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah. this episode's not about education. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would. So on the, I would definitely echo Dre on the relationships piece, uh, and obviously, I mean, it depends on the university you're at, and if you're uh, have a research heavy position or not um and like how much time you can commit to students um but definitely having uh, a chunk of time available where you can be accessible to students is uh important i would also say too like from a simplification standpoint like minimize the crap on your slides and then also Mm. um tell stories uh, so try your best to educate through the pattern of a story. Like have a, like when you have a, a session and you're professing on a topic, uh, give it an arc, like give it a climax, give it a conclusion. And yeah, I mean, to go back to the beginning of that then too, like set the stage, give an introduction, define a few terms uh so i guess i would just kind of say that to me the most important thing when it comes to communicating is is telling it in stories 
Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And so I will I will give some some tidbits of advice then for elementary teachers and then I have a thought for the high school situation. But I have had the opportunity to do just substitute teaching and I have no formal education on how to be an educator. So I have to preface with those things. But in my limited experience working with elementary students, communicating in terms of their interests was so helpful. And being willing to activate my inner elementary student and say the words that are funny and, and laugh with them and then talk about why, why are we laughing? Why was this funny? Um, and being willing to relearn and rediscover with them, I think can be both riveting for you as an educator and also really refreshing for them. When I played red light, green light with my kiddos or when I said the word, um, like, what did I say? Butt cheeks in front of my first grade class. And I miss Anderson said butt cheeks. I mean, and then talked about, Oh, why, like, why aren't you supposed to say that? What, what do we say instead? Um, having those conversations, I think just makes it feel more real for the elementary students. And I think also for you, it, it humanizes you, I think. And that's so, so important. I think in an elementary education, so I want to end our cast today with advice for graduating high school students because education and growing up in the world today beyond high school, specifically in the U.S., is really hard. High school students right now are going into a world that's pretty scary. I, I won't try to quantify, but maybe a little. Like, I would say it's, it's maybe scarier for them than it was for us. We're in crazy times. College debt is only getting bigger. Then there's this trade conversation. Then there's this money conversation. And then we're all trying to find happiness, right? So I think it could be valuable to end with what advice you guys would have then for the up-and-coming high school graduate. For On my end, I would say with crisis comes great opportunity. And so... In that regard, I mean, like looking back in history, too, you look at Civil War. Well, there wouldn't have been an Abe Lincoln without the Civil War. Um, and, I mean, on a smaller scale, like there's so many opportunities to find ways to, like if you have paid off your debt, teach other people to pay off your debt. Or if you have... Like, whatever it is, um, I mean, there's just so many opportunities there. Uh, and the big wide world might be, be scary, but to be, especially in today's economy, to be a little entrepreneurial and to actively seek out opportunities and to wor- to view the world, Lauren, as you said, like an oyster, you got to crack it and munch it. Like, to view it in, in that way where it, it is something beautiful and wondrous wondrous to cherish like you just gotta relish every opportunity that you get and then also on top of that seek out opportunities um yeah i mean that's like the 
the main point of my advice would be to just seek out opportunities and in that vein, reach out to people, like have conversations. You'd be surprised at how many people would respond to a cold email that just says, hey, can I have 20 minutes to ask you about your story? Um, Or how many people would respond to like, hey, I think what you do is fascinating. Can I spend a day volunteering for you just to learn about what you do um, and how you got there too? So, yeah, I mean, that would be the advice that I would have. If you want to go to college, that's good. That's fine. College is amazing. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> but there are all, there's always an alternate route, and there's always a route that could fit best for you or better for you. So just take some time. Think about it. I know there's a lot of pressures with parents, teachers, society, a lot of pressures, but take some time to reflect. You have all, not all the time in the world, but you have time to figure out who you are and what you really want to do and who you really want to be. College is not the only way to do it, so that's it. I want to touch on the pressure a little bit and also the identity piece. I'll start with the pressure piece. Parents just want to know that you have a plan. And if your plan is to find yourself for two years and then reassess and intentionally reassess, whatever that means, whether it's a program with Google or working your way up in industry or a trade or music or poetry, whatever it is, parents just want to know that you have a plan and that you're going to be taken care of. And if you can spend just a little time putting that together and it's okay if the plan is I'm going to find myself, I'm going to explore whatever it is. If you can put it together and show your parents in a way that's a little thoughtful, they will be okay. They will release some of that pressure and they will probably support you, um, depending on the context. But being a little intentional about that communication, if you're not sure what the next step can help with the pressure. Just to caveat that a little bit, as far as having a plan, like the plan doesn't need to be a plan for your life. It needs Mm -hmm. to be... Like, I mean, in my, in my personal experience, like I put a lot of pressure on myself to be like, oh, what am I, what's my career going to be? Whereas in reality, the best question to ask is like, what, what do I need to do tomorrow? What do I need to do maybe within the next year as, as like the, the maximal length Right. Um, What's the next step? Yeah. What's the next step? This is a great segue then to the alternate piece is finding yourself. Who, who are you? Who am I? College does not answer that question. College can contribute to experiences that will help you answer that question, but you do not get done with college and just know who you are. You, your identity is not in your college education nor is it going to be in your future career. Um, And realizing that now or just trying to think about that now, and honestly, this applies to people anywhere in life, your identity is much, much deeper than just a title attached to your name. And knowing that it's okay to spend time finding that um, can really set you up to be less lost when you are done with college, right? I think knowing my community right now, 
who are mostly done with college or in between programs or in graduate programs don't know who they are because they didn't spend time finding that out or they associated who they are with their education and let me tell you being educated does not make you something it, it does not contribute to you dre who you are as a fundamental human it has contributed in ways but it is not who you are or who you are Aiden um and thinking about that ahead of time I think might allow you some ease in just knowing that yeah you only need to know what the next step is what the next question to ask is and that's really the beauty of common science right that's really the beauty of just life is asking yourself, what is the next step? What is the next question? 